so basically, we should only do two days of intensity unless we decide to do all days of intensity. It, yeah, it's like <laughs> That's an all the or, one exception. It's okay. an all or nothing thing. Okay, that makes total <laughs> sense. Yep, yep, got it. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast, powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and today we're talking about different ways to structure your over-under workouts and how much high-intensity interval training you should be including in your weekly program. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. We here at Ignition swear by the power of Flow Formulas, and we use it regularly for our training and racing go-to nutrition. If you, too, are looking to optimize your ride nutrition, head over to flowformulas.com today and use the discount code IgnitionPodcast10 for 10% off your first order. Oh, and there's only a couple spots left at our Fall Ignition training camp held in Townsend, Tennessee next month. So if you're interested in that, head over to ignitioncoachco.com today and claim your spot. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. And if you have any questions for the show, drop us an email at matchboxpodcast at gmail.com with email titled The Matchbox Podcast. All right, let's get into it. Okay, so uh, let's see. This first question that came in, this is from Richard from Germany. Uh, I think Richard sent in a few questions, so it's good to see an avid listener. Uh, Hello, Matchbox crew. I once again came up with some training-related questions that I hope to get answers to. First question, I really like over-under training as it feels like something that really suits me physically, but there are many different takes on how much over versus under one could do. I personally go for 120% over and 80% under and do these in a two-slash-four-minute intervals uh, up to three times in a given set. So my question is, what is the difference between different percentages when it comes to how much over versus under training you're specifically doing? And when would one opt to change it, such as 95% versus 105% uh, instead of just pushing it all the way to 100% threshold? So we'll start with that question. Yeah, that's a different question that we haven't gotten. Yep, that's why I picked it. <laughs> Nice. Okay. Um, I don't think that there's, there's no research that I know of that tests different over under intervals, like, you know, the test different, different lengths of the over or different, you know, different intensities of the over versus different intensities of the under. I could be wrong, but I am not aware of any research that tests, you know, different over under protocols. Uh, so I think that the best thing that you can go with it, especially if you're doing these over-unders to be a race-specific workout, which most people do, is try to match the demands of your race. If your race is, you know, for example, if you're doing crits or cyclocross where you're punching super hard and then basically coasting, then the overs might need to be more intense and the unders might need to be less intense versus, you know, if you're doing gravel racing, um, then maybe both the own over and the under get closer to threshold. You know, the under is a little bit under threshold and the over is just a little bit over. Now, what about if we go back to Richard's question here? Uh, he states that he personally uh, prefers 120% over and 80% under. So where mm -hmm. you're actually doing more time over threshold than you are under threshold. Have you guys ever uh, assigned workouts or, or completed workouts that are follow that format yeah i will say that it is that's uh 
Um, that's not a typical over under that I see or that I prescribe where there's more over than there is under. And also I will say that the 80% is, is a pretty low under. Yeah. So I was, I was thinking he was talking about duration. So for instance, uh, he talks about doing, uh, like four minutes over and then two minutes under and repeating that. Yeah. So, so what I was, what I was saying is that Tip, a tip. Now, I'm not saying that this is better or worse. I'm just saying what's typical here, because again, I don't, I don't know of any published research on over unders. But typically, the duration of the over would probably be less than the duration of the under. And also, eighty percent is quite a low percentage of your FTP for an under. That doesn't, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It just, it's just a bit low. Regardless of what he's talking about, if you guys were to des- <laughs> if you guys were to design a typical over under workout, what percentages of FTP and what durations are we talking about here? Typically, the under is kind of where you know I'll start with like how much under we want to have relative to the over. So uh, usually, I'm kind of aiming for eighty five to ninety five percent is kind of what I'll prescribe as far as when I'm building out the workout. Uh, so that settles in like right at ninety percent. We're trying to hit like. We want the lactate, you know, part, part of this workout is to try and help let the lactate flush out of your legs. So we don't want to keep accumulating lactate during those unders. We're trying to like get your, your, your body to buffer that lactate while still holding a pretty hard effort. So I try to settle in somewhere around that 90%, maybe bracket it with 85 to 95. And then the over, uh, I, it depends on the duration. If we're doing like, you know, four minutes under two minutes over, then we might drop that down to something kind of like, uh, you know, 110, 115%. But if we're, if we're talking like a minute over or 30 seconds over kind of these shorter bursts, then it's usually like 120 to 130%. So pretty, pretty high, you know, hard intensity. Cause we want to be able to push really hard and then settle back in and try and buffer that lactate lactate that's built up and then kind of repeat that cycle. I, yeah, I agree with that. And, Honestly, sometimes I feel like a better over-under workout than doing structured over-under intervals is going out and doing a hard group ride with a rotating pace line. Sure. You know what I mean? Like if you have that available where you live and you go out and you do, you know, you pull hard for a minute and then you pull off and then you're drafting kind of just sub threshold you're going to be pushed so much harder when you're riding with other people um, that I almost guarantee that the loose structure of that, that group ride is going to end up, uh, you're going to end up getting better fitness gains from that than, than actually doing a structured over under. Yeah. And, you know, part of, part of like putting in hard group rides or training races into your schedule to prep for bigger races is you you don't get to dictate the pace anymore. You have to just respond to the pace of the group. And that's a lot different that's a lot different input than just going out and doing over under intervals where you're in control the whole time. And and I think that's where sometimes people will, you know, they might say they feel flat going to a race or they just didn't have enough punch or whatever, but it it might not be a fitness thing. It might be more of a Um, a mental thing where they're not, they're not used to no longer being in control of that pace. 
and you know they 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 see the riders they try to respond to the riders pace around them and it's kind of a shock to your your kind of you know mental game of like oh wow I, I wasn't planning on going this hard all of a sudden uh, so that's where like those hard group rides I think you know or, or training races can be really beneficial because you're taking that control away from yourself unless you're the strongest one in the group and that's a little bit different. Um, so for, for me, like, uh, we don't have any real hard group rides here in town, so I don't get that opportunity very often. But one thing my coach did this summer was set me out on some, I think we called them like, you know, whether anywhere from like 30 to 60 minute, just like race pace efforts. And it was basically like, hold as fast of a speed as you can over 30 to 60 minutes on rolling terrain where you're like keeping heart rate kind of in that tempo to high tempo range um but like punching it up the hills maybe going a little bit you know l- you know a little bit off the gas on the downhills but trying to keep that pace really high and it kind of simulates uh, a race pace effort um and kind of like you're saying Dylan, like it's not really structured it's not like i'm going out doing five minutes under one minute over it's like hey there's this hill i'm gonna punch it up the hill settle back in a tempo on the other side and make sure my heart rate's kind of always staying in that like high tempo tempo zone um, and that was a way for us to like get around not having the group ride. Oh, yeah. Sneaky. Yeah. It kind of makes me think about like, um, you know, some other sports, let's say, you know, you could take like, you know, swimming or track running or something like that, where you've got a coach there and, you know, the coach is watching you and training you and you're just like, whenever they blow the whistle, it's like, you're going hard. Whenever they blow the whistle again, it's like settling back into tempo and you don't really know what's coming or how long it's going to be, but it's like, you got to just respond and push the pace. I, I I do kind of like that that concept. Um, I think I yeah. think sometimes as cyclists we get a little bit too uh, just built into these like robotic routines where it's like kind of know what's coming and like everything's super structured but consistent and pretty easy and like and that's great. I think for general training uh, you don't have to make it over comp- overly complicated. But when we are prepping for some of those races, it is good to have that kind of more sporadic nature in a workout because that's what we're talking about here is like having to respond to the external instead of like keeping control of the internal uh so so richard if you're if you're listening to this right now uh just know your second question we're gonna hold that off uh until maybe next week or the week after uh because it's a little bit unrelated and we're gonna move on to some other topics or other questions that are on a similar topic uh okay so this next question uh they say in most of Dylan's videos, he cites literature saying two or at most three times a week is appropriate for interval sessions. But when is it better to do three days a week versus two days a week? For context, I'm a Cat One cross country mountain bike racer and also a dad of two young kids, six months and three years old, living the life. Uh, and I struggle to get any more than six or seven hours in a week. My races are typically between 90 minutes to two hours. And, a typical, and typically, I follow a low-volume trainer road program, which contains three interval workouts per week, and I throw in one two-ish hour zone two ride on the weekend. Mm. Well, that's your first mistake right there, dude. Fire trainer <laughs> well, road and I mean, hire yourself an ignition coach. <laughs> I mean, I think we all know my opinion on trainer road plans. And if you're riding, you know... If you're riding four days a week and three of those days are intensity, that's a mistake right there, um, in my opinion. I think two two of those days being intensity would be better, and two of those days being, you know, a longer-ish endurance ride would would be optimal if that's if you can do that. 
Um, but going back to your, your question, okay, two days a week versus occasionally three days a week. And I think when I talk about this in my videos, I really stress occasionally three days a week because I would say 90% of the weeks that I prescribe are there's two intensity days in them. And then the other 10%, there's maybe one day or there's three days or there's no, no days if it's like a rest week or an off week or something. Um, so the vast majority of weeks that I prescribe, there's two intensity days. When would I prescribe three intensity days? I would probably say if it's a race week and you do openers Wednesday, openers Friday, race Saturday, or maybe, you know, if it's a cyclocross week, uh, same thing, you do some sort of workout Wednesday, two days of racing Saturday, Sunday. Um, but in actual training where you're not racing, uh, it's, it's very occasional that I would do three interval days in a week. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, I never prescribe that cause I do sometimes prescribe that, but I would say it's. And when you do prescribe it, Dylan, it was one of those days going to be lower high intensity. So we're talking like, you know, maybe some tempo efforts or, or over unders kind of like we were just talking yeah, about I mean, in the last a, question. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what the, it depends on what the person is training for. Um, you know, because obviously you want to tailor the plan to what the person is training for, but probably, yeah, one of them would be a lower intensity, uh, day. And then honestly, what I probably prescribe more often than three days a week is five days in a week of intensity, just because occasionally I'll prescribe block periodization, uh, where somebody will do five days of intensity in a week. And then we try to recover well after that. Um, so, so, so basically we should only do two days of intensity unless we decide to do all days of intensity. It, yeah. It's like <laughs> That's all the one exception. It's okay. an all or nothing thing. Okay. That makes total <laughs> sense. Yep. Yep. Got it. <laughs> uh, I was going to add, uh, I was listening to, uh, of course, Fitzgerald's 80, 20 running book, which talks a lot about <clears throat> polarized training and, uh, yeah, most of your training should be low intensity and, um, in that, in that book, he talks about, he talks a lot about Siler's research and, uh, there's a lot, there's, there was research where they followed, I think it was runners and they tried to tell certain groups to do 80, 20 training, 50, 50 training. And then I think maybe even like less than that. Um, and the more, the, the more, um, close they got to 80, 20 training, where it was 80, 80 intensity, low, 80% low intensity, 20% high intensity, the, the, the better the results were. And even in the studies, they like, uh, like most of the time when they were telling the 80, 20 group to do 80% low intensity, oftentimes the majority of those runners would still do like 70, 30 because they'd go out for like a group run and end up running harder than they should have. Mm -hmm. And even in, within like the group of, you know, athletes that they had doing the 80, 20 training, the ones that did the, the closest to 80, 20 or like, the, the highest percent of low intensity, those were the ones that did the best on race day. So it was the ones who trained, quote, the easiest who ended up racing the best on race day. Um, so with all that being said, like, I think we're very quick to want to add more intensity because it feels productive. Um, but it's, 
it's a lot, our bodies can't handle as much as we think we can. So like doing two days a week is probably optimal, you know, like more than that. And you're, you're starting to, you know, play with overtraining and, and all that. Um, so I would just be careful. And if you are going to do it, I wouldn't do it for, I wouldn't do it for, a, you know, a prolonged period of time, you know, like Dylan said, you could do it throughout, like sprinkle it in here and there, but I wouldn't consistently do three days a week. It would be like the rare occasion that you might do three days a week. Yeah, Drew, that study you're yeah. talking about, I've probably referenced 30 times in my videos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, another interesting aspect of some of the, some of the research that has come out of, you know, Dr. Seiler and Matt Fitzgerald and some of the, you know, polarized pr- proponents of polarized training is, uh, a lot of times they look at runners or rowers or cross country skiers. So not necessarily cyclists. And what you'll see a lot of times with that, with those athletes is two a days. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a fair bit of research on doing two intensity sessions in one day as a way to get more intensity into your training week, um, versus spreading it out over multiple days. And I think the concept there is, you're already building up some, some chronic, you know, you're building up some fatigue and mm-hmm. uh, nervous system stress on that day. So throwing in a, you know, an extra set of intensity, like later in the afternoon, isn't going to compound that, that nervous system stress as much as doing it the next day or subsequent days. Um, so, you know, I have seen that and that's actually something uh, that I'm going to try and experiment with this winter and maybe next season too, since I'm not really competing at a high level next year. Um, I have the freedom to kind of do what I want and experiment with different training protocols. And that's one of the things that I want to test is like doing, you know, for athletes who are maybe time crunched, uh, especially like this, uh, you know, they, they can only ride four days a week. Like maybe you do 30 minutes of high intensity in the morning, 30 minutes of high intensity in the afternoon, both quality sessions, getting a little bit more intensity out of your week. Um, but still then limiting your other days to lower intensity. Um, that's something that I, I'm, I'm going to kind of experiment with this, this winter. Yeah. And for strength. me, it'll probably be like a, a bike workout, like on the trainer or something, and then maybe go do a cross country ski, like interval mm. workout. So two different modalities, two different intensity sessions. Uh, but you know, that it's, it's a, you know, it's a way for me to get uh similar volume without having to do it all on the trainer, for instance. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I've I've heard. Uh, I remember hearing a strength coach say that you should do your your hard gym sessions on the same day you do your hard interval sessions because you're because of the basic principle of make your hard days hard and your easy days easy. Um, so if you're already doing a hard day on the bike, then you should just do a hard day in the gym that day. That way, it's all on the same day, and I think that makes right. sense. But um, I think there's limitations probably to that as well. Yeah. And, and I saw even just recently I was doing, uh, reading an article, um, and they were talking about how they're, they're even experimenting with th- some of the athletes are experimenting with three a days. So throwing mm-hmm. two intensity interval sessions into a day and then also throwing an intensity gym session. So you're getting like, you know, three hard sessions. Now those are pro athletes who, all they have to do is train and recover. So, you know, they can get away with doing like an 8 a.m. workout, a noon workout, and a 4 p.m. workout and spreading it out and get ample recovery between. Definitely don't recommend that for the everyday athlete, but it is interesting to see that some, and these are Olympians, you know, we're talking 
the highest of high level athletes that are experimenting with even three days. Uh, yeah. So anything else to add to, to their question here? I don't even remember the original question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The, I think the original real program of low, low volume and, and lots of intensity. Oh yeah. When to do three. Yeah. When to do three days. Yeah. yeah. This, this sounds so biased right now because uh, it's, it's me talking and I, you know, obviously this is an ignition podcast, but I would get off of trainer road and I'm, and I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> this isn't like me trying to sneakily diss trainer road. I'm just being honest with you. I would get off trainer road. And, and like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go into a tangent here or a rant, but the amount of emails that I got after my trainer road video of people saying they got burnt out using trainer road, it was insane. Like my, I, my, I already had an opinion of trainer road before that video. And then when I saw the response, like my, my opinion of them only went down further. So (laughs) out here making enemies. Hopefully they don't. They, they, they already. They already. I'm pretty sure the podcast. I'm pretty sure the podcast world is pretty small. So I'm pretty sure, I, dude. I don't care. They're man. gonna. They hear, already. They already. Sure hate they're, gonna they're gonna hear. They're gonna hear this, and it's it's not stuff that they haven't already heard. So <laughs> fair enough. All right. Uh, so let's, one thing let's I was gonna out. say that. Oh, go ahead, Drew. That's worth. That's worth pointing out about a lot of Siler's research and Fitzgerald's books are. A lot of that research, like you said, is based around running. And runners, the way they structure their race schedule is very different than cyclists. Like a cyclocross racer could race every weekend, like if they wanted to. Um, And so keep that in mind because like a runner has all, like they probably have two months worth of training where they're not racing. And then they have one big race that they do. Um, And they don't usually do, maybe they do like one race in the two month period or building up to their a race race bike racers race a lot more often um and you have to realize that those race days count as intensity days so we talked about this last week but like yeah during the cross season we're doing two races on the weekend um like at maximum you should only be doing like a wednesday either a tuesday or a wednesday but only one other day of the week should be intensity and even and because then right there there there's three intensity days if you did that all season, that's good. You you might be feeling it by the end of the cross season. So maybe sometimes sure. when you've got back to back double race weekends, maybe you just roll endurance through the week um, and and let those let those race days count as your intensity. But I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, good good point. Okay, let's get one more question here. This comes from Adam. Say, hey, Matchbox crew, I am a 15-year-old male that competes in both cross-country mountain bike racing and triathlon. My cross-country races are about 60 to 90 minutes in duration, and my triathlons range from 2 to 6 hours, and I am currently training for a half Ironman in the spring. My mountain bike season goes from September to November, and my triathlon triathlon off-season just started. I'm doing 10 to 15 hours a week of training between running, swimming, biking, and weightlifting, six to eight hours of which will be biking. How should I be splitting my training between intensity and endurance, and how much should I be backing off of my triathlon training during the XC season? Thanks, Adam. Mm. Triathlon question. <laughs> yeah, we're not triathletes, dude. I, what are you asking I us think for? I, I, think I, would, I think I would put the caveat, before we answer this question, I think I would put the caveat that 
none of us are triathlon coaches and uh i at least i don't have any triathlon experience i don't know about you guys i did one (laughs) (laughs) yeah i did a full season of triathlon uh it was like six years ago six or seven years ago before i got into like racing bikes at a higher level uh -hmm. so I, i mean i have a general sense of the the training um and kind of how to structure the training. Um, well, take it so, away, Adam. <laughs> yeah, sh- well, maybe you should start. Yeah, so what you have to keep in mind is that just because you're doing multiple sports, your body is still limited, kind of like that's why I threw this question in here because it kind of parlays off of the last question. Your body can still only respond to so much training. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens with a lot of triathletes is – they they do a lot of what would be not pyramidal training, but a lot of just like gray area training where they're spending the majority of their time in that like moderate to low, low, high intensity, you know, lower and high intensity training because they're trying to get like one, one or two hard workouts of each modality in every week. And then they'll spend, you know, six to eight weeks without even taking a recovery week. And they're just trying to cram a lot of intensity into all these different disciplines. And what I've seen from, from, from what I've witnessed and kind of what I experienced um, and kind of some research that I have done on triathlon training is the, the approach that a lot of higher level triathletes will take is block training different disciplines where you're spending a month uh, focused on high intensity training on the bike. And then you transition to high intensity training running and then high intensity training swimming. Swimming is probably the last one that you would even revert to because you can't get quite as quality of high intensity training in unless you're a really high level swimmer because you're battling against the form so much. Um, but it's really good to still get that, those race pace efforts in the pool or in the lake or, you know, in the water as well. Um, but really what you're doing is you're the rest of the time, you know, you're still training, running, you're still training, swimming, but all of that is just low intensity and you're just getting your intensity from the bike or just getting your intensity from those running workouts. So in this case here for, for Adam, I think it actually works pretty well in his favor because he mentioned that he just started his triathlon off season, which means you know, right now Adam's training for a half Ironman in the spring. So you got six months to prep for that half Ironman. So, but, but you just started your cross country. I'm assuming it's probably a Nika or similar, you know, high school mountain bike season. So this actually works really well for you because you can get all of your intensity from the bike right now for these next six to eight weeks, let's call it. Uh, all of that's just going to come from, from the bike and the rest of your training, you can still keep the aerobic conditioning with those other modalities, but just keep that low intensity for now. And that's going to help you get that race specificity for your cross country races. Um, but also, you know, get the intensity that you need from your standard triathlon training. You're just getting that all from the bike. And that's personally how I would structure it, um, you know, is, is getting all that intensity from the bike right now. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. I was going to say it works out well that he's. He's probably, I'm sure his training volume was maxed out when he was training for triathlon. So that's kind of good because now he's got a pretty good base built up going into what I would think is a little more high intensity because the races are going to be shorter. 
Um, so yep. it kind of works out well for his mountain bike season. Uh, now he just needs to turn up the intensity, like you said, on the bike and focus on that. Um, the only thing that I like always, and again, yep, keep this in mind. We're not triathlon coaches, but man, running makes me so nervous. Like, like just the, the amount of books that I've read about running and how much injury is involved with running with over, over training. Um, that's just the one thing that like, I'm, I would always be just beware of like, yeah, don't, don't, don't like run yourself into a hole. Um, yeah. a lot of ways you can, you can build up your volume with less running, um, like, yeah, like cycling. So, yeah. And I think that's a good point, Drew, you know, this, this stage that you're in right now, Adam, where you're in the triathlon off season, still training those other modalities, I think is beneficial because it keeps your, your joints and tendons prepared for, you know, Mm -hmm. specifically running, but even maybe some shoulder like rotator cuff stuff with swimming, like keeping that in your routine is going to be good. So that way, when you do transition out of the cross country mountain bike season, you're able to like literally hit the ground running into back in your triathlon training without prevent, without risking, you know, high, uh, chances of injury with the running specifically. Um, you know, so I think, I think keeping the running in, but just keeping that running and swimming training aerobic, you know, in nature. So, you know, low intensity is going to be most beneficial during this time. Um, and typically what you'll see too, is once, you know, once you transition to specifically the bike, I mean, I mean, specifically the, the running intensity block, uh, you'll actually see a decrease in volume with running as well. Uh, and part of that is to just accommodate the extra uh, wear and tear you're going to put on your body through the higher intensity running. Uh, so you might make up for some of that volume by doing some more riding during during that phase. If I were training for a triathlon or an ultra <laughs> marathon or something like that, because I did an ultra marathon like a year and a half ago, if I had to, if I was going to do that again, I would incorporate. IT strengthening into my preseason or like base season training so that when I do pick up my running volume, my IT bands won't get jacked. Cause that happened to me when I was training for that ultra was I tried to increase my running probably too quickly, like an idiot and my IT bands flared up. And then I had to take like two weeks off of like no running. Um, so like in hindsight, I should have been doing strengthening for those IT bands like in the gym. And there are workouts you can look up to or specific like workouts you can do in the gym to strengthen those, mainly your hips. <clears throat> yeah, that's a good tip. Um, I would also, one, one last thing here, uh, you know, Adam mentions 10 to 15 hours a week of training between running, swimming, biking, and weight training. I would almost consider taking out the weight training or cutting that down to maybe one session a week at most just to just to hold some maintenance while you're in this competitive mountain bike season. Um, I just at this point, you're not going to probably make enough strength gains to make it beneficial or see improvements on the bike. Um, At best case scenario, you're going to try and maintain that strength uh, fitness. And that's just going to take away time and energy that you have to uh, you know, focus on specifically the bike training. So that's just one consideration. Since you have this extra time, you know, you've got 
uh, six months right now until your next big triathlon. You'll have a few months to kind of transition and prep between like, you know, the end of the race season and then starting your triathlon race season. Like that would be a good time to get back into that strength routine more consistently. But I would, I would consider extracting that from your routine for, for the cross country uh, season, if you can. All right. Anything else to add? No, I think that was good. I think that's the first question we ever had where Dylan didn't say anything. <laughs> you guys Thanks, are doing Adam. such a great job. Thanks. Adam. He knows his lane. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title, the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn more about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go! Let's go!